If you have your Bibles this morning and you want to turn there, we'll be taking some scripture out of the gospel according to Matthew in uh, chapter 1. And, uh, you know, I, I would probably say that a lot of people would consider this, uh, when I'm getting ready to read here, you know, part of the Christmas message or the Christmas sermon, you know, that uh, preachers are expected to preach. I think we're expected to, you know, preach about the crucifixion on Easter and the resurrection and uh, you know, preach about the birth of Christ uh, around Christmas, and you know, this coming week is Thanksgiving, so perhaps I should preach a message about uh, giving thanks. Of course, uh, my argument is it shouldn't just be relegated to one week or one month out of the year, but rather to always be thankful. And the thing to be most thankful for, though, is obedient servants of God. In a lot of instances, that without people being obedient to the will of God, there's a lot of things that wouldn't get done. And uh, here in the gospel, according to Matthew, and many would say, but Brother Jeremiah, you know, Luke has a more comprehensive recording of, uh, you know, the, the birth of Christ and all that. And while that's true, uh, what I want you to look at is the obedience of a man by the name of Joseph and the situation that he found himself in. And God calls us to do things sometimes that really... Uh, if we sat down and thought about it, we would say, well, that, that's, that's outrageous. That's something that, you know, I, I, I can't do that. Or what will people think? And, uh, you know, any time that I think about that, any time that I'm about to balk at doing the will of God when God has called me to do something, and let me assure you that I have balked on doing the will of God, and I have paid a terrible price for it as well. Uh, but I can tell you this, that the times that I have hearkened to the voice of the Lord, uh, He's blessed me abundantly, and I've always come away amazed at the work that He's done from my little bit of effort. And so, uh, in the Gospel according to Matthew, and we'll start reading it about verse 18, and of course, uh, you know, the, the part preceding it is this uh, genealogy that uh, Matthew saw fit to include that... Uh, most people just skip right over the top of. Uh, I found myself doing that until that I got a little more educated and began to see uh, why it was that Matthew uh, included that. But you'll notice that he traces it right on down from uh, all the way from uh, Abraham all the way down to Jesus. And now then in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, I think if we're not careful in today's time, we might just gloss over that and not really consider the significance of that. That in their culture, when uh, two people were espoused, that meant they were married with all of the responsibilities, but not yet all of the rights. That they weren't together as man and wife. Uh, they hadn't essentially lived together or anything, but she was betrothed to him and him to her, and they were committed to each other. And when it was now that the time came about that Joseph, Joseph was supposed to take her as his wife, a big scandal takes place. And you can think about it in today's time, although, you know, teen pregnancy is not really that uncommon of a thing nowadays, but during this time, you know, that, uh, that she hadn't even been around Joseph, so it, there was no doubt uh, that, that she was pregnant and then it wasn't Joseph's kid. 
And you imagine the hurt that Joseph had when he found this out, uh, that he dearly loved her and that he wanted to uh, do uh, you know, what was right and he had waited and been patient uh, uh, upon her uh, and waiting upon her and then all of a sudden uh, he finds out that apparently uh, uh, based on what he can see she's been unfaithful uh, or something has happened uh, and she's been defiled uh, according to the world uh, uh, and now what he's got uh, is he's got a choice to make. And you'll notice the type of man he was in verse 19. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. He was well within his rights to have had her humiliated all the way up to and including executed. He could have had her killed for that. And yet, he had mercy upon He loved her. This kind of speaks to the fact that he cared enough about her. He didn't want her to die. He was hurt. Uh, uh, he, he didn't like what had happened. Uh, but he was going to put her away privately. And you imagine now the talk that was taking place behind his back. Uh, and people saying things and saying things about her. Uh, and how that it was that he said, well, you know what? Uh, I don't want any harm to come to her. Uh, I'm just going to put her away privately. And then the Lord intervenes. Because it says in verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now the interesting thing is that you imagine Joseph is thinking about this. I imagine that he's taking long walks by himself and considering and, and, and asking God you know what should I do how should I handle this I imagine the Pharisees if they'd have got to Joseph they'd have said well Joseph you know what the law demands you know that you don't have to show her mercy that our tradition shows that she should be punished and very severely here's what you should do and society would even say Joseph she's no good she's she's Worse than bad, uh, uh, Joseph, you should just go ahead and cast her out and have her humiliated and beaten publicly. And if you want to, maybe even have her killed. And this is the way the world views a lot of things a lot of times. But God intervened uh, uh, and, and sent an angel of the Lord to Joseph. Uh, and now you imagine if you were one of Joseph's buddies uh, uh, and you found out that he went ahead and kept Mary uh, uh, and then he told you this story, you'd probably walk away and say... He's lost his mind. Why would he do that? And I imagine that that factored into Joseph's decision. What are people going to think? I remember that not long after that my father had committed suicide, I remember talking to one of my cousins and telling him, what will people think? What will they think of that people that didn't know him? And he come out with some really good wisdom. He says, it doesn't matter what they think. They didn't know him. They didn't love him. They didn't care about him. It doesn't matter what they think. And I tell you that a lot of times peer pressure uh, will cause us to do something uh, uh, that normally we're not, uh, it's not in our normal nature to do. And we find Joseph here now, the angel of the Lord gives him a commandment, but he's well within his rights to disobey. You see, it was disobedience that got this world in trouble to begin with. If you go all the way back into the book of Genesis, uh, you'll find that when God got done creating everything, including man, man was good. 
But man was given free will and man chose to obey and they fell from the grace of God. And yet what we find here, what's taken place and the reason that this is important is because that it's a means for man to fall back into the grace of God by falling on their knees before Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And how often that I can tell you, show you in the Bible when somebody is obedient to the will of God of the good things that God is able to manifest and this is the birth of the Savior Jesus Christ and Joseph has a decision to make and it's simply this to obey or to disobey the angels told him here's what you do you go ahead and you take her to be your wife you keep yourself from her until after the child is born. And then when he's born, you name him Jesus. Uh, they told him, look, uh, here's what's going to happen. Uh, uh, the Lord, it turns out uh, that she's not defiled. She's actually blessed uh, amongst women. Uh, uh, that God picked her uh, for the same reason, Joseph, that God has picked you. Uh, uh, because she's willing to obey. Uh, because if we were to turn into the gospel according to Luke, uh, you would find that the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and tells her what's getting ready to happen and rather than her saying well what will people say she looks and says behold the handmaid of the Lord whatever you want I will obey and you know that, that when you sit down and you read the Bible a lot of times you I could really sum it up for living this Christian life it's to be obedient to the word of God and that sounds like an oversimplification, but try it, brother. Try it day in and day out, being obedient to the will of God. Uh, that this old flesh, uh, it groans against it. Uh, what will people think uh, if they see me bowing my head before I sit down and eat? Uh, what will people think uh, if I call homosexuality a sin? Uh, what will people think uh, if I say uh, uh, that pro-life is the best way to be uh, because it doesn't require anybody to die? Uh, what will people think uh, if I take a stand and be obedient to the will of the Lord. You see, when you get into those issues and social pressure is applied, then suddenly it doesn't seem so easy to obey the will of the Lord. And Joseph's in a similar situation. The Pharisees would have advised him to do something completely different than what he did. But you'll notice it says in verse 22, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So all of this was prophesied. You can go all the way back into the book of Isaiah when that this prophecy was made. But imagine, I mean, nobody ever, when, when people read that scripture prior to this, they thought, well, you know, it won't be scandalous, and yet it was. It was a scandal. Because that this young maiden, Mary of Nazareth, of Galilee, she was found to be with child, uh, and it wasn't her husband's. And you'll notice that the Pharisees at one point, uh, they kind of point at Jesus and say, yeah, but we know who our father is, uh, uh, that they considered him an illegitimate child. Uh, they considered him uh, uh, somebody that was less than worthy. Uh, and yet it was uh, uh, that when all of this happens, the most amazing thing of all is in the next verse. It says in verse 24, Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. 
He did what the angel told him. Uh, and now I'm not going to get into all of it, but uh, in the next chapter you'll find uh, uh, that after that Jesus is born, uh, they find themselves there in Bethlehem. Uh, and Jesus is born and the wise men come. And uh, you know the whole nativity scene. Uh, uh, but the most interesting thing is there's a man uh, that wants to kill that baby. Uh, uh, and they look around uh, and Joseph, an angel, comes to him again uh, and says, get up! and go and go into Egypt and take them away and tell that it's safe for them to come back and Joseph leaves that night he obeys the will of God and you may look around and say brother Jeremiah that's all well and good but what does that have to do with me let me tell you what great things that God can work in your life if you're just willing to obey his will hearken to his voice that day to day just looking and saying Lord I'll occupy until you come because a lot of times in our lives what we do is we get bored and we find something else to do one of the hardest things for especially a young, immature person is to just tell them, wait. You ever notice that when your kids were little? And they'd ask for something, you say, hold on. I'm busy at the moment. Or my instance, this past week, I had some students turn in work late. And I mean not like a little bit late, but like weeks late. And then a day or two later, and I had time to grade it, but I didn't. On purpose. They come to me, Mr. Williamson, why haven't you graded my paper? My grade in your class is still low. And I said, well, I'm going to grade your paper kind of like you've done my work. I'm not in any hurry to get it done. Yeah, but I need my grade up. And I said, yeah, and you should have thought about that four weeks ago. You see that a lot of times we're only in a hurry as long as it's to our benefit. And we're only obedient whenever that we understand why or whenever that it really means something to us. And a lot of times then that means that in order to be obedient to the will of God, you've got to start making the will of God important to yourself. And in day-to-day -day life, is that really our priority? Do we really get up and say, God, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, I need you to sustain me throughout this day. God, what is it that you would have me to do? Because what's at stake is the same thing that's at stake here, which is the salvation of lost people and in bringing Christ to this world. Joseph did it physically. He had to protect that boy. He had to be obedient. And you imagine picking a man to raise your son the kind of man that you would want to pick and Joseph was the right man for the job that he took a boy that was not his own you know everybody talks about what an amazing woman that Mary was but a lot of times they discount Joseph's contributions Joseph could have undone all this with but a choice he could have thrown society upon Mary and she wouldn't have survived but rather he was obedient to the will of God I take you all the way back into 1 Samuel in the 15th chapter when it is that King Saul is commanded to go to the Amalekites and execute God's judgment and then he doesn't. He kind of does, but he doesn't. You ever been there? Well, I basically did the bulk of it. I know as a kid I was quite fond of that. Well, I didn't do everything, but I did most of it. You know, I know you told me to clean the house and load the dishwasher. I loaded the dishwasher. Partially. 
I threw a couple in there. I was basically obedient. Basically obedient is not true obedience. Joseph could have said, well, I won't have her killed. No. He was commanded to take her as his wife. King Saul was commanded to go and to kill everybody, even their animals, to destroy them utterly, to not bring the king alive. But when it was all said and done, he brought the king, he brought the animals, and he said, well, I'm going to sacrifice before the Lord. And Samuel points his finger at him and he says, does God have more pleasure in sacrifice than he does obedience? It is better to obey. It is better to be obedient than to sacrifice. And then, you know what happened? There's a high cost to disobedience. Samuel looked at him and he told him, he said, God has taken the kingdom from you. And he's given it to your neighbor. I can take you even further back, all the way back into the book of Joshua. You ever think about that generation? You see, the, the generation that actually walked through the Red Sea as adults. When they came to the border of Canaan, they said, uh-uh, can't be done. There's no way. And this reminds me of a couple of times when that dad would have a task laid out before me and my brothers. And he'd say, we're, we're going to do X, Y, or Z. And I'd look at it and say, ain't no way. It's too hard. Can't be done. And one particular time, we were having to move a bunch of uh, limestone, riprap, the large rocks that they line creek banks and things like that with, the Corps of Engineers. There was 30 tons of it there, and we were going to throw it by hand. I remember when I saw that, thinking that will take us a month to do. And yet at the end of the first day, we were about a quarter of the way done. At the end of the second day, we were about three quarters of the way done. But I remember looking at him and saying, this can't be done. And he said, well, if we just stand here and say it can't be done, then yeah, it's not going to get done. And we got to throwing, and we got to working. And we got it done. And a lot of times, though, you see, we'll look at a journey of a thousand miles and not realize it starts with a step. One step. And how long that things lay out before us. Uh, uh, but you'll notice now uh, uh, that, that back in the time of King Saul, uh, uh, that Saul didn't want to be obedient to God. Uh, and because of that, the kingdom was taken from him. Uh, and David was laid out as king. Uh, and you'll find that David was obedient to the will of God. Uh, uh, that most of his life was spent uh, seeking to do the will of God. And that's the most important thing for the Christian. Is to be obedient to the will of God. And then you may say, alright brother Jeremiah, fine, we'll concede that. But what is the will of God? Well, if you were to turn into the Gospel according to John in chapter 4, you would find that Jesus lays it out very plainly that the will of God is that none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. And so then that's our job to get the Word out there. You'll find that in the book of Acts that Peter and John, after that they had been questioned and accused by the Sanhedrin court, and they told them, don't preach in this name. Don't do any more works in this name. And they looked at them and said, well, you tell us. Which is it better to do, to hearken to the will of God or under the will of man? And so you ask yourself that the next time social pressure causes you to stutter at being obedient to this book. Setting out to be obedient is not a bad step. But God doesn't call us to be foolish either. 
That in being obedient, uh, because you'll notice all the way back there that I mentioned earlier uh, in the Old Testament about that uh, generation that walked out of Egypt and they said it couldn't be done. You find their children uh, coming up against the biggest city. They cross the Jordan River on dry ground. They march uh, around the city of Jericho. Uh, and I imagine the people of Jericho looking out their windows and looking over the walls and saying, look at those idiots. Do they not know how to besiege a city? I mean, the last guys that came to us, at least they brought some ladders. At least they brought some siege works and they had weapons in their hands. They were just walking around it, not saying a word. They were said to stay silent and they did that for seven days and then walked around it seven times on the seventh day. And still the citizens of Jericho, they were probably starting to get used to it. And I imagine that at this point, there might have been a few saying, why are we doing this? This is not how, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a general, but this isn't how you take a city. You've got to climb over their walls or knock them down or do something like that. But these people had been trusting God for 40 years. They'd been obedient to Him and listened to Him and hearkened to His voice. And they might have said, I don't know how exactly it's going to happen, but I know that it's going to happen. And a lot of times that's where your obedience needs to lie. He's looking around saying, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I know that He's going to do it. And if you remember that at the end of the seventh time going around, and they gave that mighty shout, it said that the walls of Jericho fell down, and they won the victory easily. Jericho was not ready for that. That was the last thing that they thought could happen. And they'd defeat one of the greatest cities in that area rather handily. And yet there was disobedience. A man by the name of Achan. He goes and he takes some of the spoils of war because God said, don't you take their gold. Don't take their silver. You kill everybody and everything. You sow salt in the ground that their city be accursed. And Joshua pronounced a curse upon it that anybody that rebuilt it would do so at the expense of the life of their firstborn son. And Achan, he saw... Some gold there that he desired. And if you know the story, you know what the high cost was for his disobedience. It said that when the, the, the lot fell upon him and upon his family, that they were all killed, swallowed up by the earth. And you might say, man, that's rather harsh. Well, i tell you this, it's a whole lot better to obey than it is to disobey. And he had cost several thousand or several hundred men their lives because of his disobedience because they go up against another city and they think it's going to be easy. But there's sin in the camp. And notice how sin got in. Through disobedience. How does sin get into your life? Through disobedience. Through disobeying the word of God. You may say, oh brother Jeremiah, what can I do to obey? Well let me tell you this first and foremost. I don't have you enough time throughout the week to go over it all. But I know Jesus said that men ought always to pray. I believe that would be a big step in the right direction. The next thing would be to study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what that means? 
If you stand before God and you've disobeyed, if God were to manifest Himself to you one day and say you're disobedient and you point at Brother Jeremiah, I imagine God will look and say, well, yeah, I'll deal with him if he hadn't taught you right or led you astray. But now have you been reading your Bible? Have you been praying? Have you been communing with God? Because you can try to blame me all that you want, but it's not all on me because I can't have your relationship with the Lord for you I stand for mine but I can tell you this if I've told you to be obedient then that means to get in this book and study it study it like you know there's going to be a test because well there is every day all day you see, being obedient to the will of God, Joseph did exactly what he was told to do, and he was able to raise up uh, this young boy named Jesus that the angel had told him he's going to save his people from their sin. Now, now he could have said, well, how exactly is that going to happen? But rather, you know what he did? He just complied. He obeyed. And you see, the thing about it is, is what got everybody in this whole mess of sin to begin with was disobedience. But what got people out of it? What frees us from our sin is obedience. Is making the right choice. And I'm not talking about your obedience. Your obedience can't save you. What saved us was the obedience of this boy. This Jesus. When He came into this world, that He walked steps just like you and I was tempted at all times, just like you or I. That I imagine that it would have felt awfully good for him to have just, when, when some of the Pharisees were there accusing him and pointing their fingers at him, just saying, Lord, send down that holy fire and burn them up. He said, I've not come to destroy men's lives. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then, of course, the culmination is when he's there on his face in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying. He's asking God for a way out. You ever been there? You ever had a dread on you? Something that you knew that you had to go through? And you were thinking, God, how good would it be for me to not have to go through this? And then Jesus said, and he literally said, if there's any other way, then let this cup pass from me. And I think about that moment. That is his most human moment that you read about in the Bible. He's scared. He's alone. He knows it's going to hurt. He's well familiar with Isaiah 53. When that it talks about him being beaten and wounded and bruised. Taking stripes on his back for our healing. And then when he ends it all, he says, but not my will, but thine. Because he said, I've come to do the will of the Father. I've come into this world to save people from their sins. He was obedient even unto death. And it makes me think about what Job said all the way back there in the book of Job. Job, it said that he was a perfect and an upright man. That he served God diligently, sought Him. And when he was going through everything that he was going through, that right in the middle of it, he said, Though he slay me, yet... 
shall I serve him? Uh, uh, that he looked around and said, uh, I don't just get good from God, but if I get bad from him, he's God. Who am I to question? Uh, now he got to grumbling and got upset uh, and wanted to question God. Uh, uh, but God reminded him of who he was. And I remind you this morning, uh, uh, God knows better than you. Uh, uh, don't put him to the question. Uh, don't put him to the test. Trust him and obey. Because a person who trusts will obey. I can tell you that there's been more than a few times in my life when that I obeyed but didn't fully trust until that things panned out. And you're like, oh, okay, this works. That's called faith. When we trust the Lord without any hard evidence, without anything that forces us to believe. And you see, when we're obedient to the will of God, it won't just be to the saving of ourselves, but it'll be to the saving of those around us because God will call you. And if He calls you, you better obey. You better trust Him that when He says do this, that when you go, He'll make sure you're able to do it. And because I'll leave you with this this morning. There was a man who was called on by God, told him, I want you to go and preach to a group of people, their sin has come up before me, and I want you to go and preach and get them to repent. And being a diligent servant of God, he said, uh, no, I'm not going. And in fact, not only am I not going, I'm going to go the direct opposite direction because they deserve what's coming to them. When God told him, I'm going to destroy them. He said, good, it's about time. Wonder why it's took you so long. Have you ever been in that spirit when it comes to sinners? Oh yeah. Let's take out those liberal Democrats. They need to get theirs. They'll find out when the Lord comes back. It's the same mentality of if that was my kid, I'd whoop them every day of their life. Yeah, but it's not your kid. And so this guy, you probably know him by the name of Jonah. Remember Jonah? Jonah gets on a boat. You don't have to get on a boat to get to Nineveh from where he was at. He finds himself out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and says a big storm arises. And the interesting thing, and I missed this for years, you know, when I, when, when I was in Sunday school class and we had the little pictures and stuff of Jonah and the great fish and all that, and I remember that story and I was always, you know, infatuated by it. Uh, we, we never really went over all of it, though, or at least I don't remember that we did. But they, they try every way they can. Jonah looks at him and says, it's my fault. This is happening because I'm out of the will of God. I'm being disobedient, and this is what's happening. And you know... Sailors still yet, whenever there's somebody that brings bad luck on a ship, they call him Jonah. I never knew that. I learned that only just a few years ago. And Joseph told him, or Jonah told him, he said, you're going to have to throw me overboard. And the interesting thing, you see, is that Jonah thought, hey, if I go to the bottom of the Mediterranean, I sure ain't going to be able to make it to Nineveh. So I still won't be going to him. And doggone it, if God didn't prepare a great fish... Or a whale. Some people want to 
you know, deliberate on that point. The point is, he went into the water expecting death and God saved him from death. Uh, he spent the night, uh, as I've heard some say, on a foam blubber mattress. Uh, he was vomited upon the shore and then he was suddenly motivated, uh, still yet not a willing participant in God's will, but he made a three-day journey in one day. It tells you how motivated he was. But he was being disobedient. And I can tell you that a whole lot easier way to serve God is to be a willing participant rather than disobedient. He ended up in the belly of a well. That was his fault because he disobeyed God. And I'll tell you this. If you want to go the hardest possible way, disobey God. If you want to pay the highest cost, disobey God. But you see, the thing is, is that Man has been given a gift known as free will. And you'll notice Jonah exercised his free will there. And God said, well, that's fine. Not my will, but thine. You could have had a nice, pleasant, easy walk to Nineveh. You chose the hard path. And here's what it is. And you see, the interesting thing is man was created in paradise. Through his own choice, he was cast out of paradise. And then how does one get back to paradise? Through choice. Choosing the one who was obedient even unto death, which is Jesus Christ. You see how God made it full circle. He gave man choice. Man abused it. And then God said, fine, then it's through their choice that they will be saved. And the choice is to choose Jesus Christ. And then once you choose Him, obey Him. The name Christian means Christ-like. How Christ-like are we? When people see us out there in the world, do they see Christ? Do they see us obedient do they see us obedient and looking around saying, Though He slay me, yet shall I serve Him. Though it costs me friends, though it costs me money. You know, that's a big thing. I've heard a lot of sermons over the years about giving and things like that. I'm telling you, the most valuable thing you can give to God is your time. It's not your money. Money's easy. I mean, you might not have a lot of it, but that widow who threw in her two mites, Jesus said she put in more than anybody. And you could do that, and maybe that would be the easier way, but what about your time? What have you put into it? And is God, I mean, does God call upon you like that? Or are you so unavailable He doesn't even bother? Are you so tied up with everything else that, meh, He doesn't even bother ringing your phone? He doesn't bother calling upon you because He knows you're too busy. Rather than being obedient, dropping everything, and how hard that would be to do. And if he called you to be a missionary today, how willing would you be to go? And I'll stand up here and tell you, it would be a tough one for me. I'm a homebody. But I can tell you this, I might say no, and it might not be an easy path laid out before me. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Being obedient to the will of God, just like Joseph did here, that we read about, it brought about something good. And let us not forget that in the gospel according to John in the 14th chapter, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. It's literally that simple, and yet it's very difficult for us every day. Let's all stand and get a song.